Thank you for leading us, worship team. Thank you for entering in with us um, today. If you just give me one second. Normally I do this, but I was busy. We believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and prompts us to to maybe pray for someone, share with someone all the time. Um, and so this is an opportunity to do it uh, in this room. Be listening for what the Holy Spirit says and just take that step of faith uh, and step out in it. And so if you have not been with us over the last uh, several weeks, this is actually week 10 in a series that we've called Thriving in Babylon. Thriving in Babylon. And what it basically does is it's a look at the life of Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I think I said their names right, and how they were able to thrive in Babylon. What was it that, um, sorry, Siri's talking to me up here. She needs Jesus. She's interrupting. And, uh, but um, what was it that led them to have influence in this land of captivity? Because it's very unlikely that a slave has influence in a captivity land. I mean, that's just rare. We know of two instances, not just this one, but we also know about Joseph. And Joseph was taken captive, sold as a slave into Egypt, and yet rose to second in command. And so um, God has a way of taking the norm of human life and, and progress and kind of usurping that. And so that's good news for us that follow him. And so what we did is we took a closer look at the lives of these guys and what what they were a part of. And in parts one and two, we talked about knowing God and knowing God more. Uh, we talked about our, knowing our identity, knowing who we are in Christ. That's important. Uh, Pastor Mark talked to us about knowing how to pray, how to communicate with God. We talked in part five about knowing God's agenda. And everybody has an agenda, but God's agenda is found in 2 Corinthians chapter five to reconcile people to himself. That's his whole point. That's his agenda, is to bring people back into relationship with him. His agenda is not to have a good moral people. Now, morality is a part of our lives once we come into the kingdom, but we're not supposed to be trying to clean people up. We're supposed to be connecting them to the Father. That's our job. And our role or our assignment is what we talked about in part six. And so we have been reconciled to God in order to reconcile others to God. So that's his agenda, our assignment. And then we went into part seven, knowing how to live. And we started to take all that we had talked about and begin to put it into maybe handles so that we can apply it to our daily lives. Because if you know the truth, but you don't do the truth, you deceive yourself. And I think a lot of people that go to church week after week know a lot of Bible verses, know a lot of scripture, but we don't apply it to our lives. So we keep thinking we're doing okay because, yeah, I know that verse, but in reality, it's not really plugged into our lives. And we're really going to touch on this today. So um, buckle up and uh, you're going to enjoy the ride. But we also tied it into our Advent season. And for those of you that didn't grow up celebrating Advent, neither did I. Uh, I grew up in an Assembly of God church, didn't even know what Advent was until... Someone introduced it to me about maybe seven or eight years ago, and then we started celebrating it because I loved it, and I love everything Christmas, so it just made sense. And what Advent does is the word Advent means coming. So we celebrate Christ's coming, and we anticipate his second coming, which, by the way, there's more prophecy in Scripture regarding his second coming than his first. So if his first happened, pretty sure that the second one is happening too. And each week is a different theme, and then each week we light a different candle, excuse me, and 
each one signifies something. And there is, the first week we talked about knowing how to live with hope. Last week, Pastor John talked to you about knowing how to live with peace. And then the plan was to talk to you about knowing how to live with humility. Um, because that was the series. I mean, Daniel was very humble. His friends were humble, and we're going to talk about that. But the theme of the week is joy, which is signified by the pink candle. It's the one that's different. And so today is supposed to be about joy. And somehow I found myself, as I was getting this sermon ready, um, leaning more towards joy. So today we're going to talk about knowing how to live with joy, which I think is knowing how to live with humility too, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you're using the Bibles that we've provided for you in the pew, you're going to find that on page 1026, page 1026, 1 Peter chapter 4, and I hope me swiveling around on the stool does not bother anyone. Uh, I don't normally do this, but my back has been causing me some problems over the last couple of weeks, and so this stool was way better, um, and I kind of like it because I can swivel. But uh, I feel like this is going to become a problem at some point. I didn't even have a lot of coffee today. So this is all natural. Um, stop laughing. You're going to encourage me. The, I want to take a moment to cover some of the schedule for those of you that are new because we have a lot of new faces this year at Restoration Church. And uh, I want to highlight just some things that are happening this week especially. Um, our Wednesday night groups do a little bit for Christmas. And so uh, it's regular programming times, but the programs themselves are a little bit different. We're going to celebrate Christmas. And then our youth and children are putting on the supper for us. And so instead of the regular $2 donation to cover the cost of the food, we're actually raising money for Speed the Light and BGMC. And that's the missions programs that our kids are a part of. And we'll give you some more information about that. Um, but be thinking about that Wednesday night, if you could bring a, a few extra dollars um, for that this week, that's where all of those proceeds are going to go. And then Saturday night is our long-awaited uh, church Christmas party at 530. Uh, every family is to bring a side dish and a salad or a dessert. And also a white elephant gift. And some people are like, what's a white elephant gift? Well, I don't know. Um, it's a gift that you wrap up. And we, there's all kinds of things that happen. And I'm not going to go into all of it. But we exchange it. Some people bring really nice stuff. They spend 20 bucks and they buy something nice. Some people bring something used from their home. But still really nice. And some people bring a box of junk. Um, and all are accepted. And all are welcomed. And we trade and there's like some, you know, we like to try to, you know, I hate to say manipulate, but we try because we all want the best gift. And so we move around, and, um, but there are limits to what we can do. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, but if you bring a $20 gift and go home with a box of junk, you can't get mad. So if you're going to get mad, then you can't play. Okay, so that's just how it works. And so, but be ready for that. We also do a children's toy exchange. So bring a gift um, just a toy that they have at home, a nice one, uh, because we don't like to do this with kids. Kids need nice, okay? So um, bring a nice used toy that they're willing to part with and uh, mark it for boy or girl, or if it's for either, you can mark either, and uh, we'll do a special exchange gift for them because they want to participate too, but we don't want them going home with a used toilet seat. That could be really bad. <laughs> or a thigh master or something else. It's just crazy. And uh, these are actual things that have happened. Um, then next Sunday... Next Sunday, you need to wear your best or favorite Christmas outfit, ugly sweater, whatever you want to do, but we come next week, and uh, I will outdo you all, I promise, and so we'll be here next uh, Sunday morning for that, 
And then carols and communion on Christmas Eve is only from 5.30 to 6. It's just a short time. We sing carols together. We do candlelight. We do communion. It's just a pause in the middle of a busy season to celebrate Christ's birth. And uh, we light the center candle of the Advent wreath, and we do it together as a church body. And we know that you all have family events that you want to get to and be a part of. And so we do it from 5.30 to 6 to try to do it before those begin. Um, And so it's the best that we can do. If you want to be a part of it, we invite you to. And then the worship and prayer night coming up on New Year's Eve starting at 1030. Uh, And that's going to lead us into what we do as a week of prayer and fasting, January 5th through 11th. And that first week of the year, January 5th through 11th, we um, have house of prayer every night of the week. And in fact, on Friday night, we're going to meet up in Redfield on that night where we're going to be planting a church. And we encourage you to fast. And we're going to talk about fasting more next week and then the following week leading up to it. Um, And if you've got questions about fasting, I'd love to talk to you about it. But in in essence, fasting is um, weakening the flesh to help strengthen the spirit. That's really all it is. And what happens when we either fast food or we fast, you know, media or we take something out of our lives that our flesh craves or that our flesh needs What tends to happen is yucky stuff comes to the surface in our lives. We kind of get crabby, and um, it helps reveal some stuff, and it helps us to rely on the Lord, and that's kind of why we do it, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. And then in the year 2020, one of our our goals for the year as a church is to get into the Word. And so we're going to have Bible reading plans that we make available through YouVersion, and some of them um, through just paper ones that we'll copy and give you. And uh, we're going to be reading through the Bible together, and we'll talk a little bit more about that um, as the weeks come. And then we're always giving you opportunities every week to give. And in fact, in January, we're going to talk a little bit about generosity and why we give these opportunities. Because the Bible tells us that God is a generous God. And in fact, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, grow in the gift of giving. Grow in the gift of generosity. As his children, we should be like him. Now, we believe the Bible teaches that one-tenth of our income, 10%, is our tithe. And we give it to the Lord, no strings attached. That's what he, he showed through Abraham and pre-law. That's what was law. And then that's what we believe carries on in the New Testament. So as a believer, I take 10% of my income and I give it to the church. And we say, here, you use this to do what you need to do. And I'm not telling you how to use it. Because when, once I start telling you how to use it, I'm in control of that. That's what we believe about tithing. I'm going to preach on it. If you, can, if you disagree with me, you can. Uh, that's just what I believe the Bible teaches. Now, Beyond that is what we call offerings. And every week we give you a chance to give in an offering. And I realize that money is limited and you may not have a lot to give. Uh, But earlier this year, I told you, I I felt like the Lord challenged us to do something. Every single one of us every week could just engage and put something in our pocket to give in every offering. It could be a quarter, it could be a dollar. And I know that some of us are like, well, a dollar's not going to do much. Well, neither did five loaves and a couple fish. And I feel like God says, if you do something and you engage with me, I'll take care of the rest. But for most of us, we don't even want to engage with that promise or that, and just test me. You know, there's only one place in the entire Bible God says, test me, and it has to do with money. Test me in this and see if I won't do it. See if I won't supply more than enough. And so... Every week we give you an opportunity, whether church planting, global outreach, help fund, debt reduction, or debt payoff, um, our local outreaches like the State Fair, the Parade of Lights, and then in your mailboxes today, 
This is the last thing I promise, and then we're going to move on. In your mailboxes today is a flyer like this. This is called In Faith. And we are part of, we are a corporate church of James Valley Christian School. James Valley Christian School started with five churches in this area. And a few years ago, we became a corporate church with them. A few years ago, it was like 12. Um, and we, so we support them regularly. We give an offering. Um, we have people from our church that serve on the board. Uh, as pastor, I serve on the board at the school. And uh, we partner with them in ministry. We also partner with the, the local high school in town also. So this isn't just a pick and choose. We do both. Uh, we believe in blessing both and caring for both. We believe both serve a purpose and both are needed in this community. And we want to be a part of it. And so we're giving you a chance on local outreach Sunday January 29th, to participate. Now, you can participate, if you read this, the whole $1,400, or you can participate $1. Whatever you have to give, you can give. But do something. Do something to participate, and that's going to take place on the 29th, but we put that information uh, in your mailboxes today so you'd have time to look over before that. Now, whew, back to knowing how to live with joy. Are you in 1 Peter chapter 4? I hope so, because we're going to take off starting in verse 12. And Peter is writing to the churches that have been spread throughout Asia. This is what he says. Dear friends, verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Verse 19. So, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. So many of those phrases are found in other places in the scripture, and we're going to turn to them in a little bit, but he starts with this idea, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. That word fiery trials is a, a Jewish idiom, if you will. So if you think of it as the furnace of affliction or some type of judgment or pruning, like the refiner's fire. And so what he's, he's not necessarily saying that the trials you are going through are really super hard. That's why they're fiery. It's just kind of an idiom that these are fiery trials. We do see that he's saying that these trials are coming because they are Christians, it's not just like the normal life trials. It's because you put faith in Christ, stuff is happening to you as a result of that. And that's true because these believers were facing hardship. They were facing their livelihoods being ruined. They were having property taken from them. They were facing physical harm. Some of them were being killed for no other reason than they were followers of Jesus. So they were facing these trials that Peter says, and he says, don't be surprised by them. Something strange is not happening to you. This is actually normal. And that word trial is also the word temptation, test, or examine. Now, there are several Greek words, which is what the Bible's written in, that can be used for temptation, testing, trial, examine, like 
many different words, okay? So this word is a word, if you have something and you don't know quite what it is, you test it to find out what it's made of. Okay, do you, under, do you understand that scientifically? Like you do, you, you do tests on it, you, maybe you heat it, or you, I don't know what else you do because I really don't like science, but you, you test it <laughs> to pull out the property so you know what this thing is made of. So what Peter is saying is you're facing these trials, and these trials, they're tests. They're showing that you do have God in you. So don't be surprised by it. They're actually important because you're becoming partners with Christ in his suffering. And that idea of partnership with Christ and his suffering is not something we like to talk about in the American church. We kind of like to think that when we come to Christ, everything's going to be great. And then when it's not great, a lot of us act surprised. And so these words of Peter are going to be good. Now, I also want to show you 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Same word for trial right here, even though it's translated for us in this version, no temptation. Exact same word Peter used. He didn't say fiery though in front of it. No trial, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Common means it happens to everybody. Everybody goes through it. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he provides you a way out. Now, it's the same thing that Peter said. Temptation, coming, common, but just like Peter, God is faithful. Don't be surprised by this. Don't, don't be like thrown into confusion or chaos by what is happening in your life, okay? God is faithful. He's with you. Now, we live in a fallen world, and the fallen world has an effect on our lives. Accidents happen. They're not the devil, and they're not God, there are things that happen in life as a result. God gives everyone a free will, and some people use their free will to do stupid things, and that brings harm to us. Or we use our free will to do stupid things, and then that brings harm to us and to others. Okay? So accidents happen. Sicknesses come. And again, every sickness that comes into our life is not the devil. Do, you, we've got to understand, this is life. These things come. People hurt us. People mistreat us. Christian people hurt us. Christian people mistreat us. Sometimes, totally accidentally. They don't even know they're doing it. Sometimes, totally on purpose. And we, these things happen, and here's what we do. Surprise! I'm surprised they would do this. Why would this be happening? And the Bible says clearly, first thing you've got to do is remind yourself... Don't be surprised by this. It's okay. I mean, it's not going to make you feel okay. You got to tell your mind, this is common. This happens. This is life. This was going to happen to me. Now, maybe the overt persecutions, maybe if we were put in prison for serving Christ, then maybe we wouldn't think that was strange. But what about like what I'm going to call the normal annoyances of life? Does anyone ever get annoyed at life. I mean, maybe you're better than me, so you're not going to have this apply to you, but here's what I find. I find that throughout my life, there are relational conflicts that I experience. I do. I find that people don't always agree with me. So bizarre. Because, I mean, after all, 
we're always right, right? So everyone should always agree with us because we're always right. And when people don't agree with us, we're like, why don't you agree with me? I'm right. And sometimes we say to people, well, you think you're always right. Guess what? So do you. (laughs) Duh, we all think we're always right because it's our mindset. So we think we're right. But what do we do when that happens? Well, some of us, when we have relational conflict, we, we, we withdraw from others. Well, fine, if you're going to annoy me or act that way, I am going to withdraw from you. And do you know why? Because you're surprised. You're surprised. That's supposed to happen. Because that actually helps us partner with Christ, and we're going to show you all the other stuff that happens too. Sometimes it happens at work, and we think, well, I just got to get a new job. I just got to get a different job. I can't, it's, it's this place. Well, it's not always this place. The emotional battles, we wake up and we can't, I can't, I don't understand why I feel this way. I don't understand why this is happening. Why does life seem to be happening? I'm so surprised. And so we jump from workplace to workplace. We get a divorce and we jump from relationship to relationship. We change jobs, we change churches and all of it to avoid the things or the people that annoy us or stress us. Because after all, I should be able to have a stress, pain-free life. I mean, as an American believer, Jesus died to give me a stress-free, pain-free life. See, we don't actually say this out loud, but this is what we live like. When these things happen in our lives, we tell everybody, I can't believe so-and-so treated me that way. Can you believe this happened to me? I can't believe I went into that restaurant and they, they... for the umpteenth time, they got my order wrong because I never do anything wrong. I mean, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to suffer for you. But God forbid they get my order wrong at that restaurant. I'm going to tell everybody in Facebook land. And we can't even handle these little annoyances. And the problem is, I feel like we've deceived ourselves. Because we think we're ready for the big stuff, but we can't even handle the little stuff. Now, you're like, Pastor, are you really comparing our little annoyances with Christ's suffering? And it reminds me of one of my favorite memes. So I put it up here for you. This is what it looks like when I complain to Jesus about how hard my life is. And so I'm not saying that if you walk into Burger King today or you walk into McDonald's today or Burger Plus or Subway or anywhere else and they get your order wrong, that it is equal to the sufferings of Christ. I'm not in any way saying that. But I'm saying that some of these little annoyances can also have the same effect that great persecution can have on our life if we let it. See, James James says it this way. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many different kinds, big ones, little ones, annoyances, you know, persecutions, all of them, because you know, here we go again, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, it's not about, see, some of you are like, man, I fly off the handle like every day. I am never going to be mature and complete. Can I tell you something? It's not about the willpower to do it different. It's about the acknowledgement that there's something wrong. Because far too many of us make it about the other person. I only acted that way because of them. And we never deal with what's on the inside of us. And that's why we keep following into the same problems. Because we just, I'm never going to go to that restaurant again. Oh, well, that's going to help you with your internal problems. 
I'm, I'm going to get a different job. And get a different job. You know, I'm all for improvement. I'm all for running up the ladder, getting more money. I mean, if the Lord is leading you to do it, do it. But if you're only doing it to run away from something, it ain't going to work. Because that's going to follow you. You know how I know that? Because it's in us. And so it goes, I go everywhere I go. And all of my flaws come with me. It's been great to pastor one church for 22 years. All of my flaws have stayed here. And I constantly have people tell me what they are. I'm fully aware of them. I mean, and I'm glad that you are too. But here's the thing. You have them too. And guess what? You have just as many as I have. They're just different. And we stay together and we work together because I believe it's what God has called us to do. And if God ever called me to go somewhere else, I would want it to be because God's leading me into a new direction, not because I'm running away from something. I don't want to run from something because I'll always be running from it. And so that's why I'm here, because he's brought me here, and there's stuff we haven't finished yet. And God is showing us how to do those things. So we have to stop being surprised by these things that are happening to us. And not only does James and Peter tell us to expect these things to happen, they tell us to be glad about it. I know, it doesn't make any sense. Here's the thing, when it says consider it joy or be glad about it, you're the, there's no emotion attached to that, okay? It's not like you have to be like, woohoo, someone annoyed me, okay? Woohoo, I got beaten for the Lord. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying, realize what's happening. Realize God's in control of your life. Realize that God is using everything that's going on in your world to make you more fruitful, to, to display his glory better. That's his plan. That's his purpose. And when you do that, you can be glad even though you're going through a hard time. Romans chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 5. Because of our faith in Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Oh, amen. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. But we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He's given us everything we need to win. He's given us everything that we need, that when we're in a situation and our feelings or our thoughts or our emotions or our sharp-witted tongue is just about ready to launch, He's given us a spirit of self-control to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to speak life instead. And it's going to be hard, but he's going to help us. And when we do that, we develop strength of character. Strength of character is the ability to do what's right in every situation, to do what's right toward everyone. It's not how many people I'm expressing love towards or how many people I'm acting in love towards. It's am I acting in love towards my enemies? Am I acting in love towards those who mistreat me? Because if not, what kind of gospel are we having? I mean, everybody does good to those who are good to them. Though what sets us apart from believers is people annoy us, people mistreat us, people do wrong to us, and yet we maintain a strength of character through the power of the Holy Spirit to do what is right, even though I don't feel like it. Otherwise, 
wow, this is strange. Why is this happening to me? Do you know what endurance is? Endurance is the ability to keep doing what's right over and over and over and over and over again. It's endurance. And you have to do it over and over and over. And when you make a mistake, just here's the thing. It's not like all bets are lost and you got to go back to the starting line. You just stand up and acknowledge, I did this. I chose to act this way. I spoke out of turn. I made a mistake. Well, you're saying the other person didn't do anything wrong? No, but they're not on me. When I stand on judgment day, I don't get a pass because someone mistreated me. Oh, that one, you're right. They mistreated you. You, you were absolutely right. You should have flown off the handle on that one. Check. No, you don't get a pass. You have the spirit of God. Do you know how Jesus acted when, when he was mistreated? He didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate. You know what he did? He entrusted himself to the Father. The same way that Peter told us to in 1 Peter 4, 19. If you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you because he will never fail you. I'm not trusting that they're gonna get my order right next time. I'm not trusting that that person's not going to annoy me in conversation the next time. I'm trusting that God is going to work in me and he never fails. And in fact, he's called me to do it just like Christ. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Learn from his example. Follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Well, if I don't speak up, if I don't tell my side of the story, how are people going to know? I trust myself to the one who judges justly. If I have to speak up every time someone criticizes, every time someone speaks out against me, if I have to speak up for myself every single time, I'll never stop talking. For you too. You don't have to speak up every time your brother-in-law or sister-in-law at the holidays starts. Me, 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 me. That's not who you are. You don't have to defend yourself. And we wonder why our holidays are like every time. Because we all feel like we got to speak up. we got to speak for ourselves. No, you don't. Trust that your character is being developed. I know some of you are itching to remove the speck from your brother's eye, and we're going to get there. Just hang on, okay? Just hang on. We're going to get there. Paul says the same thing. Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. We all want that. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I experience the resurrection from the dead. You know what Paul says? I want to experience the resurrection from the dead. So I want the power of God in my life and I want the suffering in my life because I need both. I need the power of God to overcome situations. I need the power of God to restore lives and restore my own life and health and peace. But I also need sufferings. Why? Because they reveal what's inside of me that I'm blind to. And the moment I start getting annoyed and the, the moment I start suffering, what's inside of me comes to the surface. And I got to learn how to deal with it. I got to say, God, I don't like this impatience. I don't like this bitterness. I don't like this resentment. I don't like this anger. I don't like this frustration. Why am I feeling it? Why is it rising to the surface? It's not their fault. It's my fault. Or at least what I can control is my fault. You ever try to control another person? You know, spouse, kid, teacher, boss, anybody? Doesn't work well, does it? You can't. I mean, you can use fear 
to try to control them for a while, doesn't last. In fact, if you just start to love people, you may actually find that they change on their own because we overcome evil with good and love trumps everything. But it takes a little longer than fear. I mean, fear works, bam, instantly, but love actually works longer. So I'd encourage you to do it. So Paul says, I'm gonna, I wanna experience the resurrection from the dead and I press on in these things. When you look at Acts chapter five, talk about fiery trials. Okay, these guys are brought in, the apostles, and they said, we don't, you are no longer allowed to preach in the name of Jesus. And the, it says they were flogged. Do you know what it means to be flogged? Okay, you take your arms and you tie them to posts so you can't move them. And you take your legs and you tie it so you can't move them. And they whip you, okay? They whip you with a whip that has like five or six um, strands on it, okay? And a lot of times they put a little something on the end, marbles or beads or sometimes even chips of bone so that when it hits you, it doesn't just whip you, it actually rips flesh. But now, don't be surprised, whipping alone can actually whip flesh. If you want to see it, you can YouTube it and you can see actually modern day floggings and I don't, you don't need to, but I want you to understand it's painful, okay? To be whipped over and over 30 to 40 times flogged this isn't just a little thing and then it says they left the temple that day and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus they rejoiced now I don't know that they felt rejoicing okay I think they felt pain I'm going to tell you today, if somebody put me on a flog and flogged me, it would hurt and it would probably take a couple months to recover fully. I mean, I'm just being literal with you. The older you get, the harder it is to recover. So they're in pain, but they understand that they're sharing in the suffering of Christ and God is going to use it. There's a contentment. There's a settledness. There's a trust that the Father is aware and the Father is working. Now, I know for some of you, you say, well, you know, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I've been And you're right, I don't. I don't understand your situation. And I can't because I don't live in it. I don't know what it's like to be married to your spouse. I don't know what it's like to try to raise your kids. I don't know what it's like to try to work your job. I don't know what you faced growing up. I don't know it. But here, let me give you this. Hebrews chapter 14 says clearly, we have a high priest who's entered into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. So let's firmly hold to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He faced all of the same testings we do, but he did not sin. Now, I know some of you are like, well, he wasn't married to my spouse. In essence, he's faced everything to the fact that he didn't have to step down to do any of it. And he left a perfect place, perfect person, laid aside rights and privileges and came and took up what we have. He knows what you're going through. And he's not in heaven angry that you're not doing it well. He's in heaven saying, come on, we can do this. We can do this. This is gonna produce fruit in you. It's gonna bring the, the Father's glory into your life. All right, now we're going to go to Luke. I know that some of you are like, but what about the other person? It's true. We do have to deal with the other person. In fact, one of the misquoted, most misquoted scriptures in all of the land comes from Matthew chapter 7. It also comes from Luke chapter 6. Do not judge and you will not be judged. And by that, our world means never point out what someone else is doing that's wrong. No, that's not what it means at all. 
Okay, and I don't have time to go into great depth as to what that means, but the scripture actually does tell us at times to point out things in others' lives. But we do it for their benefit, not for us. Okay, because it's a very slippery slope. When I see something in your life that needs corrected, I need to make sure that I'm doing it for you and not for me. And a lot of times, even as a corporate church world in America, we like to speak out against certain issues, but we're only speaking out against them sometimes because of how they're affecting our personal lives. Not because we care that the souls of those people are dying and going to hell, because the rhetoric we use to speak out against it doesn't convey that. What is happening is we're afraid we're going to lose rights. We're afraid things aren't going to go well for us. And so we use truth as a club instead of speaking the truth in love. So Jesus tells us how to do this because we want to be able to do it right. So in Luke chapter 6, right after he says, don't judge, he says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, Jesus is not saying that the person you're looking at has less flaws than you. Okay? All of us, if you don't learn anything else today, learn this. All of us in this room are equally flawed. There you go. We all have equal flaws. Your flaws are just different, and you've lived with yours so long, you think they're okay. <laughs> and so, but we're all equally flawed. So what he's saying is, you're looking at someone right now, and you're seeing something. You're seeing a flaw. You're seeing a speck in their eye. What you have to do is realize that that thing you're looking at is exposing a whole host of flaws in your own character. Okay, so you need to make sure you're dealing with this. Why am I annoyed by that person? Why am I angry about this? Why am I bitter? Why am I frustrated? What, what, what is going on here that is making that a problem for me? And if you actually do this, if you really start dealing with the stuff inside of us, then when it comes time to actually restore another brother, the way Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, when it comes time to restore them, you're able to do it gently. Because it's no longer you're, restore, you're dealing with their flaw because it, it hurt you. You're dealing with their flaw because it's hurting them. And if we don't take the time to make sure that we're dealing with this, we're not going to do that right. So the goal for us is to stop living surprised, like something strange is happening to us. This, I believe, is what striving for full restoration is all about. Because striving for full restoration is about the healing of the body, it's about the healing of the soul, and it's about the healing of the spirit. It's about taking relational issues in our society, race issues, gender issues, age issues, denomination issues, and working to bring people together. And you know what? That's messy. You know why it's messy? Because there's flawed people. Where? Everywhere. There's flawed people sitting right here. There's flawed people out there. And anytime you try to get flawed people to try to work together, it's messy. 
But the Bible says if you can do that and you can stay in unity. By the way, unity doesn't mean we all agree on things. It means we stay connected even while we disagree. And if you can do that, that's something the world doesn't do. I mean, have we seen it modeled for us? If you disagree with me, we're not, we're not on the same team. And then we try to say things, but we're all Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's working, isn't it? It's not because we, without the spirit of God, there can't be true unity when there's disagreement. Why? Because we don't trust each other. But see, I don't have to trust you. I have to trust the one who controls everything. Now, if you continue to show yourself a manipulating, shady person, the scripture says if someone continues to live that way, you don't have to have anything to do with them. You've got to keep your love on towards them. You don't treat them harshly or meanly, but if they're not going to come into the, the, the body of Christ and act a certain way, well then, yeah, there's a time we actually even are supposed to put people out of the body. But the point is for them to come to their senses so they can be reconciled to the body. Not as a punishment, not as a, you're not measuring up, so get out, see you later. But as a, we're going to sit you out here for a while. It's kind of like sitting them in a the corner. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible. And then later on going over and saying, hey, which, do you ever have a toddler you sat in the corner and then you talk about, hey, did you think about anything while you're over here? Come back together. But again, that should never be entered into lightly. The, the scripture says those of us who are mature should do this. And remember how you get mature? By considering it joy every trial you face. So if you're flying off the handle at everybody who does wrong, you're not the one to handle that person. Because you haven't gotten to the place where you're ready to handle that person. And the reason you're putting them out of the church might be because you're flying off the handle. Not because they're, it's for their good. Again, let's look at these last verses again. From 1 Peter 4, this is what he says. If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. So don't act on your feelings Keep doing what is right. And we have a good example from 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ was our example. Follow in his steps. I love this. This is where we created those bracelets. What would Jesus do? From this, you know what he did when people insulted him? He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So this week, you're going to face trials of many kind, but you can take heart because God is developing you and he is with you in it. He is not the author of your pain. God is not up in heaven orchestrating events so that you will face pain this week or he's not up in heaven saying, okay, let's put this sickness on this one so they can learn something or let's put this annoying person in their life. He doesn't have to do that. <laughs> because we live in a fallen world. All he has to do is know in advance, okay, this is coming into their life. Let's use that to train them. And sometimes use it to train you is use it to teach you how to overcome it, not just endure it. Okay, sometimes when we're, we're facing situations or difficulties or trials or sickness, we think, well, I just have to learn how to endure it. No, maybe it's how to overcome it. And he wants to teach us both. And how do you know? Well, you got to walk with him. And he's so gentle and he's so humble at heart. So today, if you're lacking joy in your life, you need to know how to live with joy, you probably don't need to find a different job. And you probably don't need to find a different church. 
You probably don't need to find a different spouse. You probably don't need better health. I mean, you could use better health, couldn't we all? You probably don't need more money. You probably don't need different circumstances. And there's nothing wrong with trying to better our lives or better our health or improve our circumstances, but joy comes from trusting him and following him. Joy comes from doing what is right and not just what feels right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those that are here today. God, I thank you for the work that you're obviously doing in their lives. Your word says that if any of us is bearing fruit, it's a sign that you're at work in our lives. God, the fact that they're here today shows that they're bearing fruit. God, they're here to meet with you. They're here to know you more. They're here to humble themselves before you. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd use the word that we have looked at today, that you'd use it to shape and to mold each and every one of us. God, I know that every one of us in this room is in a different place in our lives. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the words that I've shared and that he would apply it to each individual situation in this room. I'm grateful that we have a high priest that understands every one of our weaknesses. And we want to trust you today with our lives fully. We want to trust you that this week as we face different trials, different tests, different temptations, different tribulations, that you're faithful and that you're going to provide a way out. You're going to provide the wisdom that we need if if we'll cooperate with you, if we'll recognize the internal struggles and the internal opportunities that you're creating and not just see the external problems around us. So Holy Spirit, help us to humble ourselves before you. Not just right now, but all week long. Show us how to put this into practice. If you're here today, I want to invite you to stand with me. This is how I want to close. I want to give you a chance to respond. I feel like I need to give you a chance to respond. I don't always do this. But if you're in the middle of a struggle of some kind today, and that struggle is a relational problem, that struggle is a physical problem, it's an emotional problem, but the words that I shared today about living with joy, you're like, yeah, I'm in the throes of that right now. And uh, I just need grace. I need grace in my life to do what is right and not just what feels right. I'm gonna invite you to come to the front and I just wanna pray over you and we're just gonna pray a quick prayer and dismiss you. But I feel like there's something about acknowledging it and saying, God, I need to, I need to make this right. I need to ask for your help. And so I don't wanna embarrass you, but I wanna encourage you. If you're here and you're in the throes of it and you need to come, would you step out and say, hey, I need prayer, I need grace. Today, prayer team, would you come to the front and would you meet them here? As people come, we want to pray over you. We want to pray with you. We want to believe God to give you the grace. It's not going to instantly change your feelings. It's not going to make all your problems go away. But I believe God's going to meet you here. He's going to give you the grace you need to walk it out. But it starts by saying, you know what, I have a problem. And my problem isn't someone else. And my problem isn't something else. The problem starts in me and I need to, the grace to fix it. I need the grace to be restored. Is there anyone else? 
Father, thank you that while we were your enemies, you died for us. Thank you that you're on our side. God, that you are constantly pruning and disciplining us, but God, you're doing it because you have so much better in store for us. God, you want us to bear fruit. You want us to bear even more fruit that brings glory to you. And God, I thank you for the humility of those that have responded today. God, I stand here today with them. I need it. God, I need your grace in my life and in, in, in more ways. God, I don't want to blame the other person. I don't want to blame the situation. I don't want to blame traffic. I don't want to blame anything else. God, I want to know that every trial, every temptation, every test I face this week, that I can entrust it to you. God, I can acknowledge you in the midst of it and you can begin to shape and mold my character, who I am. God, that you can give the endurance that's needed, the perseverance so that we can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So I pray for abundant grace upon those at this altar today. You said if we humble ourselves, you would give even more grace to us. And so God, we hold you at your word today and ask that you pour out great grace upon each of us today. Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. God, would you bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them? Would you give them peace? God, would you be gracious to them today and every day ahead, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you wanna spend time in prayer, you're more than welcome to do it. If you want someone to pray with you, our prayer team's always here. Otherwise, uh, God bless you as you go and uh, see you next week.